Starting a podcast can be very time-consuming. I've been doing it for more than three years now, and my biggest challenge was finding a way to distribute my episodes across major audio platforms in a way that was easy, effective, and free to use. That's when I came across Anchor. And the best part is that you can actually make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So if you're interested, download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's going on, everyone? This is George Gleefe, and it's another episode of Let's Grab Coffee. I'm here with David Bremer today, who's the founder and chief sales scientist at CerebroSelling.com. David previously held several executive leadership positions at leading tech companies like Salesforce and is a mastermind in sales and also teaching us the art and modern selling techniques in today's world. Dave, thanks so much for being here, man. Hey, pleasure, George. Great to be with you. So... Quick question off the bat. What is cerebral selling? <laughs> well, cerebral selling is, is two things. You know, it's, it's a company, uh, but it's also, I feel it's a bit of a mindset. And so, so what is it? So cerebral selling is my uh, sales training and consulting practice. And it's really all about asking and kind of diving deep into the why of modern selling, really understanding from a very foundational level, the science, the data, the empathy, all of those reasons why the tactics that people use in modern day selling work or don't, right? And so it's all about applying that kind of very educational lens uh, to the tactics that we see every day in the hopes of better connecting with modern buyers. I love it. And, and just talking about that mindset, Dave, I remember once attending a session that you were presenting on and you, you said a very interesting kind of sentence. You, you said, well, what matters more is actually how you sell rather than what you sell, because that's what's being communicated to whether it's a client, user, customer, and that's what's actually resonating with them. Can you kind of walk us through you know, different techniques that, a, that an effective salesperson would use uh, in terms of how they're selling, their behaviors, their mannerisms, all these things? Yeah, well, I think even beyond the, the kind of the sales realm, you know, I think modern organizations in general understand that the experience that customers have with their company is their product. So irrespective right. of if they sell a widget or they're a service-based organization, the experience you have is your product. So you can have the best product in the world with a crappy checkout experience, a crappy support or sales experience, and people will not acquiesce to that product. Right. And so like that, that's, it's the same thing. So when you're looking in, into kind of the sales realm, this idea of like most people, if I were to ask this question, I think I may have asked this question at the, uh, the event that you were at, George. If I were to ask most people, mm -hmm. hey, do you like talking to salespeople? What do you think the answer is? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. That's right. And Coming in fact, from a sales <laughs> Dan Pink did a bunch of research for his book, To Sell as Human, and he found that when people use the word sales or selling, there's an 80% strong negative connotation to that. Mm. And, and a lot of the reason why, like when you think about like, so why don't you like talking to salespeople, the words that continue to pop up are things like pushy and self-interested, and people conjure up these images of like sleazy used car salespeople. And that really speaks to not what you sell, you know, it's a, it's a car, it's a piece of software, you know, it's a it's a, a pair of shoes you bought in the store, but it's it's how you went about that sales process. Did you add value? Did you describe the 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 impact that solution was going to have, that product was going to have to that person with emotion, right? Because that's at the end of the day, that's what people are buying. You know, did you successfully transition that customer from the sales process to the support process? You know, is how you described 
the value of what you do consistent throughout that process. So that's what I mean by the, the how you sell, irrespective mm-hmm. of the kind of the product or service being so important. Well so, well, so much of this is actually based on emotions, right? And uh, I think a, a lot of sales is kind of behavioral psychology, uh, and I'm sure you'd, you'd agree to that. But if we kind of uncover this, like when I went to university, I studied finance. I never really had a, you know, a, a very disciplined kind of sales course. I'd go to events and extracurriculars and stuff, and that's where I'd get it. So do you think a lot of this is learned through experience, or are there uh, real hard techniques that people can either read about or attend in seminars? What's, what's kind of your take on that? Well, I think it's like anything else. I mean, you could learn lots of things by experience. You could learn how to build your own website and, you know, how to how to walk a dog and uh, and all these kinds of things. But yes, you can absolutely be taught these things mm-hmm. in kind of a very purposeful way. And in fact, you know, I actually believe that most bad sellers, like if you think about a bad salesperson you ever kind of interacted with, they're not bad people. Like they have significant others and they play sports and they, you know, they hug their kids at night, just like everyone else does, but they're just executing a playbook and tactics that are outdated. And the reason they're doing that oftentimes is because that's how they were taught, right? They were never taught how to to really think about the world of modern selling. They're just replicating a playbook of someone else who, you know, said, oh, this is what you should do. And so, you know, when you think about how you need to arm yourself in the future of the modern sales world, education absolutely is a critical factor and certainly experience because it's like anything else. If I wanted to teach you um, how to be a black belt in karate, I could just show you a bunch of videos of people doing the moves that you needed to do, but it would take a little while for you to develop the muscle memory of, uh, of you actually engaging in those moves. And it's no different, you know, in sales. Like I can show you all the moves you need to do and you will be markedly better than you were before but it still takes that time and practice. But I, I think you need both. Yeah, totally. And, and I want to touch upon something actually, because this I found very interesting. When you said, um, you know, if you ask someone like a general person, uh, what their view is on, on a salesperson, is it positive or negative? More likely it's, it's negative. There is research that backs that up. It, I was recently doing a, a quick kind of sales workshop at, uh, at the Ted Rogers conference and students at the end, uh, and I got this from like a couple of students and I wanted to bring this up to you, but uh, basically, they said, George, well, you know, in an industry that is not, you know, so positively looked upon, I mean, a lot of sleaziness in it and certain things that just the media kind of boasts, um, how do you carry yourself as a professional? And then how do you also uh, present that kind of brand in, in, a, in a better standard or at a better light? So how do you kind of answer that, especially when it's not so positively looked upon? And are you referring to like, how do we become great ambassadors for this profession or how as like a, a salesperson, how do I, what are some you know life hacks to engaging in that very kind of, you know, ethical, ethical and above board way? What, what are you, what are you looking for? The latter. Yeah. You know, so, you know, one of the things that I find, especially with young salespeople and God bless the young salespeople, we need more <laughs> people to, to be in the profession is that when you get on the phone with them, let's say you're a buyer and you take a call from a business mm-hmm. development rep or you're like a young salesperson, oftentimes they're reading a script, right? Something that's prepared, you know, uh, uh, something that, uh, that was given to them. And oftentimes, and this exists in the modern sales world all over the place, there, there's what I call a sense of experience asymmetry. So it's just a word I made up, but it basically describes a situation where you have a young salesperson right, trying to sell to a senior, more experienced level decision maker on the customer side whose job they've never done. 
And so what happens is as a young salesperson, or even I, I say young, I'm just using that as a euphemism, but just really anyone who kind of experiences that distance and asymmetry from their buyer, it tends to be a very mechanical process, right? We read the script, we call, we don't really know what that person does on a day-to-day -day basis, right? But we're just, we're the ambassadors of the message. And part of the way that you can overcome that experience asymmetry is to really believe, deeply believe in what you're selling. Now, I mean, mm -hmm. uh, there's a, a lot to unpack there, but imagine like you just, let's say there's something you love in your ordinary everyday life, right? You know, you have a pair of pants, a restaurant that you go to, and someone said, you know, hey, I'm looking for a pair of pants or a great restaurant to go for my anniversary. Where would you recommend? You would just exude all this natural enthusiasm around this product because you love it. But what mm -hmm. happens is in everyday normal products that we sell as you know, salespeople in the workforce, we don't have that emotional connection. So part of the way that you can overcome that asymmetry is develop a very uh, kind of visceral emotional connection with either what you're selling or the value that that solution is going to add to your customer. And there's all sorts of kind of, again, life hacks that you can, uh, you can engage to, to actually manifest that conviction. But because people buy feelings and there's that asymmetry that exists, part of the challenge is how do we use our own feelings and our own resolve and our own conviction to overcome those barriers? So that's you know, what I teach in my practice, but that's the, that's the best thing. I mean, you think about, you take a call from someone who just genuinely believes in what they're doing is a yeah. very different feel than when someone's reading a script. Right. I mean, you, you can almost feel it, right? Whether in person or even on a call, you can really feel that kind of genuine enthusiasm on the flip side of that. And I think that's great advice. What if that, you know, what if someone right now listening to this is in the predicament that they don't necessarily fully believe in what they were doing? And I, I ran, uh, I ran the scenario across, uh, some friends who maybe were in the banking sector or other sectors, not just a kind of bash banking in any way, but they, they just didn't resonate as much with, you know, that kind of industry and they were trying to sell it, they didn't truly believe in the product. So what advice would you give from, from that perspective? It's tough because then if you're just going to kind of read a prepared script, what am I going to get from you that I can't get from an online website? Yes. Right. Like, and, and I don't need you to repeat to me the same thing that you're hearing, you know, that I could get online. And mm -hmm. so, you know, you need to, so first of all, it's a challenge. Like if you've ever bought something from someone who didn't believe in what they were selling, why should we help those people be successful? <laughs> you know, like if they, if they don't believe in what they're yeah. selling, then, you know, it's going to be very, very clear that you know, maybe it's not something that their customers should invest in. But oftentimes I would say that the, 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 the more likely scenario is that people actually do believe in the value of, of what they're selling. So if I'm working for a bank selling insurance, you know, yes, there's value in there's selling value. that insurance, but rather than saying like, Oh yeah, so here's a, it's a life insurance policy. And, you know, in the event that the, you know you die, this money will be paid out to your loved ones. You know, you're basically you know, rather than repeating that, say, hey, look, you know, I I work with tons of clients like you, who are kind of at this stage, they've had their first kid, and you're basically kind of leading them down a little bit of a story, not not a fake story, like a real life kind of emotional stories around like why people actually buy this, the type of person that does really well or really appreciates this kind of solution. Um, you know, kind of, you know, you're, you're weaving emotion into it. You're talking about all the situations where they could actually use your solution. And even instances where it actually doesn't make sense for them mm -hmm. to buy it. Right. So mm -hmm. all of these kind of little things in terms of how you tell the story, how you manifest that conviction, how you make your customers feel comfortable. That is what people kind of need to get to if they want to not only be successful in their sales roles, but advance the sales profession so that people don't get off put every time they interact with a seller. 
Right. And I, I almost see like a metaphor here. It's kind of like that, uh, the book, you know, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, in this case, great salesperson, average salesperson. What are some common traits that you see that great salespeople are doing today that the average are not? Yeah, well, the, the first thing that I see is the, the best salespeople actually want to get better. And it's kind of a funny thing to say, like, why wouldn't you want to get better? But one thing I've learned in my business working with, you know, tons of salespeople and sales organizations is that a lot of people just don't want to be the best or don't want to be good in whatever competency they're in. And then even the people that want to be good are not willing to do what it takes. And so investing in yourself, and I'm not saying, you know, necessarily training, reading, like reading is the number one thing that I find that, you know, great salespeople or people in any profession do because there's lots of knowledge out there. And if you are just executing the same playbook in any role that you're in year in and year out, you are not going to grow. You're not going to be going to be successful. So reading to me is number one, um, mm -hmm. you know, number two is, is selling, Feelings, or in other words, kind of, I, I talk about this all the time, this idea of sell the way you buy. And as an right. individual, think about how you buy. You buy feelings from, you know, the clothes that you wear to the lunch that you order at the food court, you are buying feelings 100% of the time. And so sellers that do a great job of kind of helping manifest that feeling um, are very powerful. And then certainly, you know, when I, I talk about empathy, like the, the third thing that a lot of great sellers do that others don't, is they don't use tactics that would not work on them, right? And right. so there's that empathy. And actually, and I, and I, and I kind of I want to play a little devil's advocate there. Sometimes people say, well, you know, does that mean that as a salesperson, like I shouldn't be pushy or I shouldn't make lots of calls or send lots of emails because that would never work on me? And I say, no, that's not the case. Think about this. When my wife wants me to do something, sometimes she has to ask me five times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that's what it takes for us. That's and so I'm true. not I'm not suggesting that you bother your customers until they buy something from you. But I've had lots of well, yeah, like polite follow up. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I literally just had um, someone today I was working with um, on a sales engagement and I continued with my polite follow up because I, I believe that, you know, there would be tons of value in what we could do together. And I saw that he was interested. And at the end of it, you know, he said, thank you for helping get me over the finish line here. You know, I, I probably would not have just kind of, you know, uh, done this all on my own, but I'm really happy that I did. And so mm -hmm. sometimes selling the way we buy requires that we kind of help people, you know, see the, the future that they see for themselves. That's very true, man. I mean, even as it relates to this podcast, as an example, there were many instances where I'm trying to reach out to the CEO and, you know, obviously they have a lot to do, right? And they, I mean, my email is maybe one amongst hundreds. Uh, so kind follow-up, but also positioning that value ensures that maybe, you know what, the first time you sent the email, you know, you, David could have been at an event. He probably didn't catch my, maybe he was traveling. And then mm -hmm. I do that follow-up and maybe at this point he's on a plane, kind of settled down you know, breezing through his emails and then catches mine at the right time. So I think that that's a very important note that you just touched on there. Yeah. Um, well, if I could just add one thing on that, you know, please. one of the, one of the things that salespeople, I mean, people in general just get wrapped up on is the narrative in their head. So imagine right. you, let's say you went on a date with someone, right? So you go on a date with someone and you, you had a good time and you call that person the next day and they're not there and you leave a message and you're like, Oh, okay. They're not there. Leave a message. And then they don't call you back for a day or two. And you're like, oh, that's weird. We had a great time. I don't understand. Like, why are they not calling you back? And then five days go by and they're like, you know what? I don't need that jerk. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why they're yeah. not calling me back. 
We seem to have a good time. And then you got a call a week later from the person and they say, oh, you know what? I'm so, so sorry I didn't get back to you. I was in a, you know, I, I was, I had the flu and I was down, you know, for a whole week. I couldn't even pick my head off, off the pillow. And you say to yourself, oh, you know, it's okay. It's okay. Totally understand, right? All is forgiven. And that narrative that's been going on in your head, all of a sudden just kind of disappears into thin air. And so mm. oftentimes in selling, you know, we have these narratives in our head as well when our customers don't get back to us. And oftentimes it's not that they don't want to talk to us. It's that for whatever reason, the timing was off, they were traveling. And so that persistent, polite follow-up is statistically what's required sometimes to, uh, to get the customer uh, uh, to continue the conversation. I love it. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about composure and also just kind of making sure that you're always in a good place. Here's the one thing, especially being in sales myself on the business development side, I find that a lot of my performance, my behavior, the consistency, what I know I should be doing relies a lot on me being in a good kind of mental place. You know, if, if I've exercised, I wake up, you know, at a good time, I've slept well. <clears throat> So a lot of it is actually personally being directed towards my profession and making sure that I'm actually executing uh, on the on the things that I know I should be doing. How much of that do you really believe plays uh, a role in, and what do you do personally to make sure that you're playing at your best? Yeah, it's funny. I was just thinking about I was talking about that this week and thinking about it today as well. It's a blog you know, post, babe. Yeah, it totally is. Um, <laughs> the... the the reality is like the things that we do, and I'm going to get a little bit existential here for a second. The things that we do in our lives, right? We sell things, we go to work, we perform at our best are mm -hmm. only possible. You know, those are things that we get to do. That's, that's the bonus, right? That's the fantasy land. The, the, the reason we get to do those things and operate at that high level is because we have a strong foundation. And that foundation is, is things as basic as like you said, as sleep, exercise, uh, you know, family, loved ones around us who support us. And when we have that strong foundation, then we can perform at our best, right? It's very difficult to focus on your work when, let's say, you have a loved one who's in crisis or you're going through, a, you know, kind of a personal situation. And so it's mm -hmm. not always going to be possible to have that strong foundation. Certainly life throws your curveballs. But to the extent that you can provide, you know, repetition and focus and, and prioritize some of those things, you are going to be able to operate at that higher level, like the higher level functions you need for executive functioning and selling and business interactions are all built on that foundation. So, you know, I absolutely um, you know, believe that. And actually, on the, I'll tell you, like on the flip side, having been a sales leader for many years at a bunch of companies and coaching a bunch of, you know, uh, reps and, and, and other managers that report up to me, everyone has baggage. Like everyone has something that they bring to work that they don't talk about, that nonetheless is important and impacts their performance. And as the, as a leader, part of our job is to help support them in, in as many aspects of their life as we can and care about them deeply. So I would say if you're a leader out there, you're listening to this, you know, be empathetic towards your team members and really care for them as people. And if you do that, you're going to be the best boss they ever had and unlock tremendous amounts of discretionary effort from them. But to your question, you know, the basic things, like I'm exactly like you. I, I uh, try to get, you know, the, the right amount of sleep. I try to exercise to the extent I can every day. I try to spend time, you know, with my kids and my family. Do the things that, you know, I love that kind of, you know, light me up. And quite frankly, stay away from the things that, um, you know, can sometimes distract me uh, or, or kind of, you know, don't. Um, add value. So I think, you know, there's a certain amount of routine. Uh, there's a certain amount of uh, emotional resilience and foundation that you need to kind of build up when you, um, you know, when you're putting together your, your, your schedule, architecting your life.
Yeah, yeah. <coughs> There's often a misconception I find too with uh, with sales in general that it's always associated with a personality style. You know, like, oh, if you're a salesperson, George, you're definitely an extrovert. And while I, I definitely think I am, uh, I do have a lot of introversion as well. And I think a lot of salespeople that I've been talking to recently, uh, and, and funny, uh, I think yesterday or the day before, I was talking to a friend, and she said, you know, there's new studies coming out that people are often a bit of both now. You no longer have like 100% of one or zero of the other. So for, for me personally, for example, I'll go to an event, you know, and I love interacting <coughs> with people. I, I get a lot of energy from it. But on the flip side, when I come back home, I'm like, I got to dial down, man. It's like dark room. I just got to shut down the engine. Um, and so how much of that is true? And for introverts who are listening to this, you know, can you give them a bit of faith and optimism that they can also make successful uh, salespeople? For sure. Well, you know, first of all, I have to say that I'm an introvert. You know, I'm I'm one of those people. If I'm on a plane and there's someone sitting beside me, you know, we're we're not talking. We're not being okay. friends. <laughs> it's, it's not that I'm a bad person. It's just I like I like time to myself. I like quiet time. And um, you know, this isn't necessarily I'm going to say my opinion. Uh, again, I'm going to refer back to Dan Pink and his book To Sell as Human, where he actually did this study. And the question was, you know, do introverts or extroverts make the best salespeople? And what he found was that extroverts were more likely to get uh, hired into sales roles and, and in some cases more likely to get promoted up the chain in sales roles. But when they actually looked at the effectiveness of these people, meaning, you know, what is their relative, you know, quota attainment and contribution, all that kind of stuff, they actually found that the people that were the, the best and most effective sellers were the middle of the road. I mean, you thought I was maybe going to say introverts, but no, I mean, it's, it's kind of, it's the, the middle of the road people, like the people who are not you know, exceptionally exuberant and extroverted, and certainly they're not, not the ones were, that were kind of extremely shy and introverted, kind of the middle of the road. Um, for me, I am, am more of a, an introverted person. I think, you know, for, based on what I do, where I do a lot of, I started my career as a research scientist. I do a lot of writing. I do a lot of thinking. I, I get deep into what I do. Mm-hmm. And to do that, I need, I need that quiet time. And I think a lot of really great leaders, CEOs, and so on um, are introverted and, and that level of introspection makes them very um, effective. So if you're out there and you're thinking you're an introvert and you're thinking to yourself, like, do I need to be more exuberant in you know, my personal interactions? Um, you absolutely do not. And, and while for me, like I can turn it on, you know, I can, I speak in front of large groups and I, you know, I train and I do all these things and I love doing that. And I love meeting people. It doesn't mean that uh, I'm an extrovert just because I like doing those things. Right. I'm, I'm comfortable doing those things, but I do like the quiet time. So for all the introverts out there, there's uh, there's a lot of hope. Yeah. And, and actually just talking about personality styles, I remember I think it was you who said, you know, uh, at the sort of opener of your, your talk. You said, you know, children don't grow up saying, oh, I want to be a salesperson. You know, my dream is to become like the top salesperson of a of a company. And uh, which is, I guess, true in some ways. And on that front. I think a lot of people just find it maybe difficult, just really not for them. So how did you know for you, especially being an introvert, coming from a very different background and then pivoting later on, how did you know that this was actually for you? Like when was that tipping point as Malcolm Gladwell puts it so nice? <laughs> it's a good question. Um, so yeah, I got into sales by accident like most people. And, and I think uh, uh, you know, I'm not unique, right? In that regard. Um, when was the tipping point? You know, I, I'm this kind of this big fan of, of uh, pattern recognition. Right. And a lot of times, you know, when you think, well, so what is selling? You think, well, what does a salesperson do? What a salesperson does is, is they help 
they move people from one viewpoint to another. They, uh, they represent a viewpoint. They represent a solution. And that's what selling is. And I've always loved to do that. But I think it takes time uh, to see those trends and patterns in your career. So, for example, a lot of people get into sales at an early age because it's an accessible job. You know, there's no there's no requirement for it. We, you know, we we sell you know at the Gap at the mall kind of a thing, right? And we and a lot of people have that exposure to sales. Um, but this question of like, okay, well, how do I double down and invest in a full on career in sales? For me, you know, I ended up in sales by accident. I started my career as a solution engineer at a uh, startup and uh, fell in love with it because for me, it was all about getting deep into a solution and a product and really understanding it at a deep level, helping the customer. And as a research scientist, that was what I did all the time. You know, I, I was, I was always very comfortable with kind of going deep, but what I realized was that sales was all about curiosity, right? Being curious about your customer's problems um, and also the craft itself. Like for example, math, maybe hasn't changed all that much in 20 years, but the way people buy has changed tremendously. And I was always fascinated wow. with like, well, why do people not like salespeople? And when I said it like this, why did the person get it? When I said it like that, why did they not get it? And so for me, it took a number of years until I um, kind of equated modern selling with kind of my love of, of, of science and curiosity. And uh, you know, also as a, as a, uh, as a salesperson who is earning commissions, um, and and you know if you're good at what you do, making good money, that's a tough it's it's a tough gig to walk away from. So, so <laughs> the commissions, it was kind of, the bonus, yeah, for sure. Yeah, well, look, it's a, it's tough also to be. Uh, I I totally empathize with sales reps. I mean, you know, I had a quota for 20 years, and you're on like a monthly or quarterly cadence, tough, like man. producing numbers. Very very tough. But you know, you know, if you're if you like the competition. If you like, and I say competition, like with yourself, right? Like if you're always trying to, you know, grind out and be better and learn and you want a profession where you can, you know, make a lot of money if you do it well and have tons of success and help a lot of people, then sales is for you. And I think it takes a certain amount of time for people in the profession to really decide if that's what they want, right? Mm -hmm. And so for me, it probably took about, you know, I would say, you know, seven years in till I said, hey, you know what, like. I really love this. Um, and, and for those of you listening out here in, in the podcast, if you are into sales and you really love it, but aren't sure if it's for you, like that's okay too, right? You could do it for five years, two years, one year, kind of, you know, transition to something else. It's actually better if you transition out of it, if you're not into it, right? Because what will happen is you will just become disengaged and then you'll, you know, you'll just end up ruining it for everyone else when, when, you, when you, when you do it in the, in the wrong way. But yeah, so it took me, I'd say about, seven years, but, um, you know, now kind of, you know, when I do what I do now, which is teaching the art and science of modern selling, well, the reason why I do that is because it probably took me about 15 years to realize that it was the teaching that I love to do and the learning that I love to do. And so that's for me why I ended up loving sales so much. So I think everyone's got to find their own reason for sticking in sales. But I would say for, for all of you out there, like give it time. It's not like you're going to get into it and then necessarily a second later be like, oh, this is amazing. I got to do this forever, right? You have to find something yeah. deep, deeper. Yeah, and, and just to, to add a bit onto that as well, Dave, and I love your answer because it really speaks to the depth of, of what one will go through, you know, when finding their tipping point. So I really appreciate your context and transparency. You know, the one thing I also found for me, especially within this year, is doing a lot of sales training um, through work and other means. And, and I think the one thing I really learned 
was how much science there is behind this craft. And just like anything that you do, there's so much practice, there's so much consistency that goes behind it to really be a great professional within that uh, kind of industry or vertical. Um, and so there, there's there's so much that that makes sales underrated, you know, because from the onset, it's it looks kind of easy to get into. Like, yeah, sure, I'll get I'll go into sales. It'll pay me commission. You know, I just work hard and I'll make money. But often, you know, when you when you start and when things don't go your way and things are challenging, the tough skin that you need to actually withstand those kind of tough months is very, very diff difficult. And it's not for everyone. Um, so it, it is really an interesting place to be. Couldn't agree more. I like that. Now, one of the things I wanted to ask as well is, especially because you're a guy who really likes to learn, you went through the corporate route, but then you kind of ventured on your own. What's one thing you know now about sales that you wish you knew when you were entering in the corporate side? Oh, that's a good question. You know, one thing I wish I knew. Um, I think I think part of it is just kind of the, the how to handle the cadence. You know, it's it's very tough, as you mentioned, to kind of be on a treadmill every month. Mm. And in fact, part of the challenge with the sales profession in general is that when people are kind of on a treadmill and they have these, you know, expectations of them, you know, revenue production and, and all that kind of stuff, when the when the deadline gets close, they start doing strange things and they start behaving. And, <laughs> Just <laughs> calling a you know? hundred people all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, like in a manner that'd be inconsistent with how they would be in normal everyday life. And in fact, I was uh, I was reading a really great book called Growth IQ by a former colleague of mine at Salesforce, Tiffany Bova, who's there. Uh, okay. She's the Salesforce global growth evangelist. She was fantastic. And she was talking about uh, Wells Fargo and the culture that existed at Wells Fargo for many, many years and kind of what led to, you know, ultimately a huge downfall was just the fact that people were pressured to, to act in kind of unnatural ways. So I'm not saying that in your sales organization, that's kind of what you need to look out for. What I'm saying is that you need to be able to recover from that. You know, you can't be going to work every day as if it's, as if it's month end, right? And kind of acting with that unsustainable level of hustle uh, and intensity. Right. You, you need to create a cadence in your workload. And so that's, I'd say, kind of, you know, the, the biggest thing is to kind of, you know, have an appreciation for that cadence and give yourself kind of emotional and mental outlets to be able to, to operate at that, uh, you know, peak level of performance. And I, you know, the one thing I would also add just for anyone who's out there who's like, let's say, a younger seller early on in their career, one of the things that uh, I used to tell the young sellers that we used to hire uh, back at Salesforce is that in the interview process, by the way, I would tell them this in the interview process, I would say two or three months into the job, you're going to want to quit. And these were in a lot of cases, experienced salespeople, people who had been salespeople at other places. Salesforce is an amazing organization. And, you know, it's the Super Bowl of sales there. And in many ways, you know, because of that, there's a certain amount of intensity. And you have all of these salespeople around you, uh, you know, doing the same thing and engaging in that same level of intensity. And it can be sometimes overwhelming. So mm -hmm. my advice to, you know, again, to salespeople starting out is like, it's okay if it's hard. It's good if it's hard, right? Once you push through that pain, and you develop the muscles that are going to allow you to survive and thrive in that profession and in your company, you're going to, you're going to be unstoppable. And uh, there's so many stories of, of reps who had that adversity in some cases didn't hit quota, you know, were on the brink of, uh, of failure and turned it around and, and were just some of the most tremendous salespeople. So I would say develop a system and, and stick with it. David, 
Bremer from CerebralSelling.com. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate all those insights, and I'm sure the community will take a lot of value for it. Uh, I'm going to link your website. Uh, the blogs, too, by the way, for everyone listening, uh, are phenomenal, really. Uh, and I don't just say that because I'm here with you right now, but uh, <laughs> you know, really very productive, very tactical, and it's very micro content. It's not the you know the BS kind of fluffy stuff that you would see on other articles. So uh, please check them out. Thanks and so much, George. It's a pleasure. Yeah.